This is the Off Duty On Duty podcast, episode number 28. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off Duty On Duty podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, my buddy DB is back for more. We're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, the caliber debate, the caliber wars, which is better, is bigger, better, is more, better. But first, a word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Mountain Man Medical. Mountain Man Medical is focused on two core principles. First, build med kits and trauma kits that consist of name brand approved tested components. Second, make them the most affordable of any company on the market. Check out the full lineup of products and kits at mountainmanmedical.com. And remember, law enforcement officers, firearms instructors, and other professionals, you can save up to 15%. Mountainmanmedical.com. Newest sponsor, CCW Safe. Legal service membership for concealed carriers and law enforcement officers. The most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team, hands down. And. We're proud to offer you 10% off of your next membership. Go to ccwsafe.com forward slash off duty 10. Also, EDC Belt Company, makers of the foundation belt, the most comfortable functional concealed carry belt on the market, edcbeltco.com. Also wanted to remind you, there are still slots available to the Guardian Conference, the Guardian Nation Conference in Oklahoma City. This September, get online now. There's some early bird specials and the seats are selling fast. Got Larry Vickers is going to be the headline instructor. I'll be teaching there. Spencer Keepers, Hanny McMood, several other podcast guests, Chuck Haggard, Riley Bowman. It'll be a great conference. They're going to feed you breakfast and lunch every day of the conference. So you can hang out with my smiling face and see why my mom says I have a face for radio, right? <laughs> now come out and train with us. Need about 800 rounds of ammo for the weekend. And, uh, you know, you might as well start getting that rounded up now. Looking forward to the guardian conference. And as always, the links to the sponsors are in the show notes. So whether you listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google play, wherever it is, go to the show notes, click on the links there and they'll take you to any one of the sponsors. Let's bring in our guest, DB. DB, welcome back to the Off Duty On Duty podcast. It's been like a month. <laughs> we, you're, you're becoming a regular. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we got we to gotta keep everybody angry. <laughs> exactly. And uh, right. Somebody, uh, we got a little hate mail on our last one and uh, from a guy that apparently lives in Arizona and is a Rush fan based on his uh, handle on iTunes. But, you know, it was like uh, back in the day, I, I read this deal about Howard Stern and he said, you know, 70% of my audience hated me and the ones that loved me listened for 30 minutes, the ones that hated me listened for three hours. So <laughs> it's kind of yeah, pick your poison, you know? I'm kind of good with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm past the point of really you know, putting too much thought into it, but, uh, yeah, you're, you're running up on Hanny for most, uh, guest hostings of the show. So you're, you're yeah, no, it's just a question of which one they, they dislike more. Right. And, <laughs> and I think if we really want to blow their minds, we'll put you both on one together. <laughs> I know it could be ugly. Could That's, be ugly. It could be yeah. 
exceptionally cool. But, uh, but we were talking earlier in the week and, and, uh, it was, I I always like, if I'm running out of ideas and I'm about to do the solo podcast, I'm like, I'm going to do some fishing. So I, I threw you and Hanny and some other guys and you were like (laughs) responded in like 13 seconds. I believe it was a record. And you were like, I got some. Well, I, can't. I got a, I got a subject where we could really make people angry again. Yeah. And, and I thought, you know, from, from the cops, that's a good one. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. The, the caliber <laughs> yeah. debate, especially the and, caliber debate. And, and it's one of those ones that I have been on all sides of it because I came into law enforcement when the 40 Smith and Wesson was dominating and the old guys were like, well, my 357 and then the then the middle of the transition guys that came off of nine millimeters with really poor ammo were like well i switched to 45 when they authorized that and then you had the dudes that were like didn't know anything but 40 and i ended up personally i ended up sticking with 40 for a long time and the reason being was it, there was only one it was bonded ammo and when bonded ammo yeah. That was what solidified me. And then when the nine millimeter, our agency basically mandated across the board that every bullet we shoot is bonded. I was like, okay, time to go to some polymer nine, you know? Yeah. You know, it's there, uh, you know, I've been through multiple eras of this plus, you know, like I said, I'm at the point in life where I've been studying a lot from what our, our, uh, the giants whose footsteps we're following in. And this has always been, one of those subjects that is, um, it, it has a ton of variables, but it gets filled with more stupidity, I think, than anything else. And there's one of the gigantic, and you know, this was one, and I'm sure uh, your dad probably found this as well. So there becomes a difference when you move from being in the cop rumor mill about what happened during shooting store, you're actually there either when the shooting's happening or best yet, you were there when it happened and you're, you're working the investigation. What happens is most citizens involved in this stuff, just because of the nature of being a law abiding citizen, you don't get to go to a lot of people getting shot stuff. Uh-huh. They don't let you go to the autopsies. They don't let you go to the hospital. You don't get to look at this stuff firsthand. It's just part of the program of, you know, it's one of the benefits of not being in the 911 response business. The problem with the cops is they fall, they, they, they feel blessed because they're around it a lot, but most are not uh, t- technically taking the deep dive into it. And often they don't know what they're looking at. And I'll try to address a couple of these while we're talking. Okay. And you end up getting in these little kind of battles with a bunch of people who have bits of information. And then it all gets turned into like the telephone game where everything's a 14th hand story. And the reality is this. Most people are never going to really get to look at the technical information of what really happened on one of these things. And they're going to be subjected to more of the myth and story from the participants that got told to a friend that got passed on. And it gets a little convoluted 
to what's really going on. And that changed me a lot over the years is once I started actually taking a hard look and doing the shootings and everything from going to autopsies and literally having to call the coroner and going, Hey, uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking at this stuff that you're, you know, some of your conclusions and can you do me a favor? Do you have this book in your library behind? Yeah, I got that book. I go, go to page 74 and tell me what you're seeing. Oh, wow. That's exactly what that looked like inside the body. Yeah, it it is. Um, So are you going to maybe agree with what I saw versus what you saw? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That's, you know, because I had a shooting where the, the, it was a sniper shooting and the, the, the coroner concluded the guy was hit with two, five, five, six, uh, uh, soft point simultaneously of which there wasn't a five, five, six soft point there guy got hit by a one sixty eight boat tail hollow point and a 55 grain full metal jacket. Uh, one, one was going in from the side. One was coming in from the front at the same time. And you know, the letting that they saw inside the bullet track he thought was from a hollow point. It actually is coming out of the back end of the five, five, six. Cause it's at a, you know, several thousand feet per second spinning right. and lead comes out the back end and litters the wound track. In it. Um, the 30 kit with the, uh, the 308, you know, the guy's conclusion was, well, I could only stretch the entry wound to about, you know, 20 something caliber. I go, yeah. Cause you didn't hit it at 2,700 feet per second. You know, it's yeah. stretchy skin and it comes back. And, you know, this is, and this is, I'm dealing with a corner who's not an ill-experienced corner. He's a corner to place that, you know, at, at one point I think was number one in the country for homicides per capita. So, you know, it's not like this is new. Um, it's just that these people aren't really ballistics experts. They're experts at why people died, not necessarily the, the technical mechanism of how we got there, where people like me are more interested in the bullets and what they're doing. And then you start to come to these conclusions that we're a lot of time completely focused on the wrong things. Right. And kind of what motivated me in this is, you know, I saw one of these internet groups and somebody posted something about caliber and I'm reading the responses going, this is the most fictional stuff I've ever read from having done a lot of this. And, you know, I look at how emotionally involved people get these caliber debates. And what I see most of the time is the intensity placed on and the emphasis on what's better, a a nine millimeter, a 10 millimeter or an 11 millimeter bullet. We're talking some pretty small differences in diameter in the big picture is usually most heavily debated by people who couldn't hit the black on a B8 bull at any distance consistently at all. You know, your problem is really more that you can't shoot. It's more of Johnny can't shoot than Johnny has the wrong caliber gun or, or, or it's not even the caliber has the wrong cartridges in it you know Mm -hmm. oh well this is the newest hottest hollow point here that's much better than the other hollow point when we're talking you know absolutely minute real differences if you can't put them into the right place my side of that you know i never went to coroner's offices but i i got lucky to be 
assigned in an area where I had the level one trauma center and I kick myself right. for not at least, you know, keeping a, a log or some type of, you know, what ca- a little bit, of maybe some more data point. Uh, but I've seen people shot with everything from, you know, bird shot to 44 mag was the biggest one. Well, actually a couple of slugs, yeah. you know, one ounce slugs. The biggest thing I saw was that nine millimeter, 40, 45, 357 Magnum, and even up to 44 Magnum. I was interviewing people in the hospital bed. Uh, and right, cause you know, they were not yeah. parked in areas <laughs> that, that had any consequence. And then, the, the wound ballistics that I saw didn't really have all that much difference, uh, depending on where they impacted. I actually, uh, worked one of a guy that decided to appendix carry a 1911 with no holster cross draw and perfect took the, uh, <laughs> what could go wrong? yeah, took the crest of his <laughs> hip and exposed it to the world, uh, with a right. 230 grain, uh, gold dot. And it was brutal. But I was having a conversation with him. Well, again, you know, that that gets into like the whole pelvic shooting. Right. You know, that was going around for a while. And, I, you know, I was on I was on an investigation and I'm at the coroner's office and I run this by the corner. I go, hey, what's your thoughts on that? (laughs) And he he just points at the body that were there on the shooting that that has rounds in the pelvis. And he goes, "Um, how did it work on this? And I go, well. It really, and then he points to the round of the guy's head and he goes, you know, yeah. I go, yeah, it, it really didn't. Yeah. I go, you know, it, the best you're going to hope for is angry on the ground. Right. And you know, there's a time and a place, you know, a lot of the guys coming back from overseas were like, God, those pelvic shots were great. Yeah. You got a guy running across the street. You put a five, five, six round from a rifle through their pelvis sideways. Well, all of a sudden when they're on the ground, it makes it a lot easier to hit them again with that five five six rifle versus trying to put a pistol bullet into a pelvic bone where it'll actually really do something and the best you're going to be able to hope for the absolute best is an extremely angry person now on the ground still fully capable of fighting you know we're the only thing we saw with that drop people like the marionette strings cut were were rounds centered up in the head somewhere um, even the ones that lived, it, you, it, like I said, every case we had, it dropped them like the strings were cut. Um, like I said, they might have lived through it, but you know, getting hit in the face with a decent police duty round uh, usually does the thing. You know, this got into I was greatly benefited is in my early years before I was even a cop when I was in the police equipment business. I was I I got to know a. Uh, legend of the firearms community in San Diego named Gene Wolberg, who was the head of the San Diego crime lab. And Gene had the most amazing collection of everything. That guy had every weird street made suppressor guns. His office was like candy land for any kind of gun dork of guns used in crimes, example stuff. He was a real genius level dude. And he was, tapped in hard with, uh, you know, Dr. Fackler and the whole ballistic gel group and got to know a lot of people in that world. And everybody got on the internet or back then it wasn't the internet. It was the gun magazines 
And, you know, talking to Jello junkies, they're just shooting gel. Well, you know, here's the reality of this. So what these guys are actually doing is you know, Gene Wolberg was the chief criminalist in San Diego in a time when they had tons. They had a lot of officer-involved shootings and basic crime. Gene was seeing a lot of real use. He was also seeing a lot of real use of the newer high-performance 9-millimeter rounds, which, you know, which they were one of the first places to go to the 147 grand subsonic. Mm-hmm. I think he was looking at like 40-something-odd real shootings about what did it do, and they go, wow, it's doing the same thing in actual shootings as what we're seeing in properly constructed, and this is the key, is properly prepared ballistic gel, not water jugs, not, I made some jello, not, you know, I'm shooting wet newspaper, but they came up with a kind of a recipe for doing gel that was giving them the the data they were looking for. So, you know, these guys had, they had the double access. They had the access to the labs to do, to do true scientific testing of where they're replicating it very controlled environments, temperature controlled, uh, shooting BBs into the gel to calibrate it. I mean, they were really doing a good job as actual, real, honest-to-God scientists, as opposed to dudes on YouTube. These are real military law enforcement science guys. And then they also had the access to the best investigators out there. And one of the guys, um, and I'm not going to name him because I don't know how public he wants to be, but I got to know a guy at California State DOJ who went out and was helping on a lot of this stuff, figuring it out, and going back and looking at a bunch of shootings. And a perfect example was 125 grain 357 mag. So when they were doing all the early ballistic gel testing, like 125 357 magnum was a very above average performer. It was a good round. It did everything it's supposed to, but it certainly wasn't performing like its street reputation was. So this guy goes out and he starts tracking down a whole bunch of these shootings. And because of his position within a, a large, you know, a state heavyweight state law enforcement agency uh, was able to get access to the information on a lot of these shootings. And what they came up with is, all of these shootings were 125 grain 357 magnum was performing like it came down from Thor and was just dumping dudes on the street, you know, like a lightning bolt. They, he, he goes, I, I, I came up with a set of criteria that was consistent in every single one of the shootings that happened that way. They were at night. They were at a distance of six feet or less with a barrel of four inches or less shooting one full house, one twenty-five jacket at hollow point. And back then it didn't really have any flash suppressant in it either. I mean, yeah. we can remember you'd shoot that stuff on the range and you'd throw literally a 20 yard ball of flame down the range. Yeah. Well, what do you think was actually putting dudes on the deck? Cause you didn't really want to be near one of those things when they went off, you know, on a, on a four inch barrel, gun at night shooting that stuff um, that's throwing a 20-yard ball of flame downrange, you really didn't want to be in front of it, I'll tell you that. Uh, and what they concluded was what was putting guys on the deck so hard 
was the flashbang. Yeah. And then, and then realizing I have a hole in my chest too, but it was so overwhelming to the human senses. Nobody likes things exploding in their face. And the natural reaction to that is what going to the ground. Right. So it was putting people down, but what they kind of concluded was, Hey, it's a great round. It works good. It gets good penetration, does everything it's supposed to do. But what's really delivering that, that, that lightning performance is actually the thunder and lightning that's coming out the front of that gun. So, you know, you, you get some of these other factors in of some of the psychology, but you have to have the right people looking at it versus uh, Bubba gun shop stories or uh, third-hand cop locker room stories um, I've, uh, where you start figuring this stuff out, you know? Yeah. Years, years ago, as uh, you know, my agency had nine, 357 38 special and we were all carrying 158 357s and 38s uh 147 nines 180 grain 40s and 230 grain 45s so i mean we were carrying the full tilt of everything that was available right the, well the heavy ones yeah. of everything which is where i which is by the way where i've come to my conclusions is i'm a heavy bullet guy and any caliber at a moderate velocity is kind of where i'm at as what generally is a pretty good combo right and we had an we had an officer in our range house that he he had been on for i don't know 30 years at this point and this is 15 years ago and he goes (laughs) he goes yeah and he literally says when i got through the academy the first thing i did was have my you know my model 10 or whatever punched out to 357 magnum and uh he said you know I, I don't know of many shootings where it didn't work. It just, it didn't perform. And we shot 125 grain, 357 mags. And I said, you literally have a data chain that's over 30 years long because that's what it, the reason that you remember yeah. all these things, nobody was carrying anything else. So right at what point do you go? Well, we have a large data set with this caliber because well, it's the only thing anybody's carried for 30 years, right? Uh, and it was really kind of and, and you know, the, what was kind of funny is back then, everything else was so bad. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. You know, you didn't have a lot of the technology in the auto caliber. So, you know, I tell people, I go, God, if we were developing revolver, you know, rounds right now, like we've been putting the work into the semi-auto rounds. I don't even want, you know, where the round doesn't have to function the gun yes. like the autos do. I mean, they've got to function the gun where the revolver really doesn't need to function the gun. I mean, I'm thinking, gosh, we could do some amazing stuff if anybody really wanted to do the work on it to figure it out. But you know, that's, that's back then, you know, when you're comparing those, those big Magnum rounds to, you know, kind of like everything was trying in nine millimeter, we really didn't have the data. We didn't have the guns, the stuff. And now, you know, nine millimeter and, and you know, it's funny. I laugh because everybody's all, well, nine millimeter is as good as 45 now. Well, it's, it's nine millimeter of today is as good, if not better than the 45 that we were using when we first went to it at my place, in, right. you know, in the early nine, late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. Today's nine millimeter is a better round. The closest thing I've ever seen to a death ray on the street is, and we used it extensively, was the original 230 grain plus P plus 
I'm sorry, 230 grain plus PHST. Yeah. Federal round. Um, it took our, our agent, it took five shootings to get somebody to live through one of those. And I mean, they were incredible performance rounds were coming out looking like, uh, you know, right out of a federal ad. Um, most of these were going through multi layers of clothing, window glass. Um, one of them on a hostage shot went through the guy's uh, forearm, through the bone in the forearm to get into the guy's chest. I mean, spectacular performance, absolutely spectacular performance. But then I have the other side of the, 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 the coin on that. The only guns that shot it really well and it didn't completely kind of destroy were the HK uh, USPs, the USP 45s. Uh-huh. Uh, it took the round real well because that round, that gun's developed for plus P plus 45. Um, it was h- extremely hard on the Glocks and it was devastating on 1911s. I mean, if you want to, if you want to jack up on 1911, shoot that in it would, um, if you don't do all the springs first, um, or you're not replacing, uh, recoil spring assemblies like all the time. So all the guns, it was really hard on. It was also hard on the shooters. Um, I've got a picture of me shooting an HK 45 C, uh, the compact, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, the guns like bent, you know, pretty hard up and recoil. And somebody says, God, you know, dude, you need a little better recoil control. I'm all, dude, that was the full house HST round on a multi-round string. I was shooting for, you know, it's zero taking pictures for a magazine thing. And, you know, just caught it up in full recoil. I mean, it recoils hard. It's a hard round to control. And so you ask yourself, you know, does, would, would most people be better served with maybe the 147 grain nine millimeter version of that, that you've got a lot more of them. It's much easier to shoot. It's a lot uh, easier on most of the guns, you know, then you start balancing. Okay. Is there that much of a difference between the, uh, the, the nine millimeter and the 11 millimeter? I mean, is it that great that, you know, you're talking a, a, a small variance in that and the re- and I would much rather have somebody who can put nines into what I call the grapefruit mm-hmm. than somebody who can't put the forty fives into the grapefruit. And when I talk about the grapefruit, I tell people I go, it's real simple with human beings. You've got to put rounds into something about the size of a grapefruit in the upper area of the chest or in the head. That's the acceptable target. If you don't hit that. You're going to need to do it again with a pistol. It's that simple. Unless the person just gives up. But, you know, I, I'm sure you can attest to the same thing going and investigate lots of shootings is if you don't, if, if the rounds aren't in there, um, it's quite, it's quite easy for modern medicine to save these people. It doesn't really put people out of a fight. Um and they need to be in that area of you need to shut down the the, uh, the hydraulic pump or you need to shut down the uh, the electronics and flip the switch down on the head. And what I tell people on the body shots is you still need to hit the grapefruit. But if you miss the grapefruit, at least you're not putting rounds into the public. Mm-hmm. You've, you've fired a miss, but you haven't hit the wrong thing. That round will stay contained usually within what you're hitting. It just isn't going to stop the fight. You've got a time issue too, is that even if you hit the grapefruit in the chest, it, it, 
it may take a little bit for the for the hydraulics to run out where the head just tends to be a, a if you can get it inside the uh, I tell people if you take a piece of duct tape and you wrap it around start at the eyes wrap around the head through the ears and stuff anything inside of there that that gets inside uh, you're gonna you're gonna basically shut that thing down right this second and and, and that's what you're you're looking for but it's hard to do it is and, I, and I've seen a couple of exceptions. Um, to where oh, it, there's to, exceptions to all of it. I, <laughs> there's I, always exceptions. I guarded a guy that had, um, that had a 68 grain Hornady uh, poked through in the perfect grapefruit shot, high center chest, um, 68 grain Hornady two, two, three at about five and a half feet. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. it, it was a, it was a horrible deal. We had, we had a couple of officers shot. I, I'm, I got to coordinate with one. He's going to come on the show and, um, I, him and his partner. Yeah. I won't mention their names until that, until they agree to it. But, uh, you had a right-handed shooter and a left-handed shooter, right-handed shooter takes a round in the right arm, left-handed shooter takes a, a round in the left arm. And then, uh, one of our range firearms instructors, rifle instructors just happens to be working overtime and has a rifle with him and gets the rifle out and pow as the dude's advancing and it you know it was kind of a crankster deal you know uh yeah and yeah, uh add, you know add methamphetamine it helps a lot on the uh right on uh the body chemical balance and they were there was a lot of hubbub about man that shot should have been fatal and i said you had you had ambulances running code three there at warps warp six you had fire the fire department was almost on scene immediately and you had uh i mean they revived the guy in the ambulance three times it incapacitated yeah, I mean, him uh right but and that's, that's instantly that's the, yeah but, but yeah. it didn't it, i mean it it didn't ultimately end in a, a fatal shooting but i looked at that and everybody was like well you know the bullet did this and it did that and then i said look they killed the guy. IMSA brought him <laughs> back to life or our, our EMS people brought him back to life because their quality of care was so good. And he was two miles from a level one trauma center. I said, modern, you, you can't do that. <laughs> like you can't like have a better circumstance there to, you know, ultimately shoot someone and then have them, uh, have them receive medical care almost immediately. I, I like the way that you put it uh, on our last podcast, you know, with if this was a hundred years ago with the bullet technology we have, no bullet wound would have been survivable, you know? <laughs> right. You know, when the, 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 the last dude I shot in a bar, you know, I cleaned the guy from, you know, basically nipple line coming in uh, just off the chest, exiting out the back. I mean, I just, I mean, guy went down like you dropped a sack of potatoes on a body shot. Um, and you know, after the shooting, you know, it seemed almost instantaneously, the fire department was mass suiting the guy and literally take him to the trauma center that we, we, uh, basically say that God works there. I mean, these right. people will put a baboon, baboon heart in you, whatever they need to do. I mean, it's an amazing, and, um, they saved the guy's life and, you know, I thought there was no way this guy was going to live through this thing. Like I said, it put him on the deck so fast. I couldn't fire a second shot. But weirdly, I go back to the station after the shooting and I kind of wander into dispatch. I said, hey, I'm a little freaked out right now. It seemed like 
on my time is all messed up. Like I shot the guy, we put out shot, fired suspect down. And like, then the next minute, the fire guys are in there working on him. I go, what's the response time on the fire department? Cause I'm really weirded out about this. Mm-hmm. And they go, Oh, and pull it up the call. And they go, uh, 57 seconds. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so I wasn't imagining that it was like you blinked and they were right there. Um, under any kind of normal circumstances, the guy would not have survived. But, you know, when you mass suit a guy in 57 seconds, it's good. And what happened, you know, the fire department got wind of the call, you know, and they were staged. They were sitting outside the back door of the bar. Yeah. When the shot went off, you know, I mean, it was like, so you, you can't predict a lot of these things. Now, like I said, the, uh, the, the incapacitation was instantaneous in a body shot, not having to fire a second shot because the round went where it needed to which kind of gets back to the whole thing. If they go where they need to, it's a good thing. And I'm not, and I'm, and I use this analogy when I teach classes and I tell people this, and luckily that having a wife who has gotten me into the hunting world where I wasn't before I'm learning a lot of this analogies are pretty good, but basically human beings are deer sized animals. And I tell folks, I go, if you put rounds into that high kind of center chest area. And a lot of these are fatal um, shots that we see that are going, you know, as soon as stuff starts penetrating the heart and that whole aortic block in there, the full of, full of pumps and liquid, um, they're probably not going to live. It is the reality. I, anytime I get a, a doctor in the class, uh, hey, can you fix a hole right through the heart? No, we're not real good at fixing those. Wanted to do that. But what we find is, like animals that have been shot that way in hunting situations, is they kind of just, the heart sends a message to the brain that you need to go lay down somewhere immediately and take a rest. Mm-hmm. And that's usually what we see happen with those kind of shots is, they kind of buckle over and go find a place to lay down. And I mean, I know as a cop, you've seen this before. I mean, we found guys in dog houses, under cars, uh, you know, kind of curled up next to a porch. You know, they kind of just go find somewhere to, to wait for the big light. Yeah. Um, I've seen every and, one of you know, those. Like, but every so often you get a Cape Buffalo. Mm-hmm. You know, every so often there's that dude so juiced on meth. Um, and I mean, the uh, the FBI shootout's a perfect example. Every so often, somebody's going to take a round through the heart and go, I am going to kill. My last objective on this planet is I'm going to kill who killed me. And you're going to run into that. And that's why we kind of are so big when we're teaching is teaching that failure drill, because usually the ones, as soon as the brain's penetrated, that's the end of that. Um, you know, they're they're not making these kind of conscious decisions but with the with the the uh center chest hits you 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 that that becomes a mindset and uh, uh chemical imbalance does become a factor in these things so but the key is that probably the key to this is and the whole conversation is you need to get around that will get to where it needs to get from any angle because we had some of the rounds we used to use that were really good in work in Southern California, that if you were, you had people getting shot wearing a wife beater 
Yeah, the the old that was a, sm- a smaller yeah. statured person, straight front, straight frontal from the chest. They weren't a real big deal getting to where it needed to get. Versus the people working in, you know, uh, northern Michigan, northern southern Wisconsin, Canada, yeah, or Wisconsin, yeah, something, and they're wearing twenty three layers of heavy clothing, and the rounds coming in through a shoulder first. That's a whole new ball game of where that round needs to get. And or coming through vehicle glass, anything going into cars is unpredictable. Um, you can never make a real prediction on cars. There, that yeah, you know, some stuff sails right in, some stuff gets deflected by things that shouldn't. Uh, cars become a real interesting thing anytime. And we deal with such an automobile born society, that's always a factor. Um, so you have all of these factors in there, but the reality is. The round needs to get to one of those two grapefruits through probably a lot of median, and both of those grapefruits are armored. Uh, the head grapefruit is armored pretty heavily, and the chest grapefruit is generally got armor right in front of it and around it. So the key is here is that if people would focus more on, I need to be able to hit a grapefruit under stress, as opposed to, I need to scour the, I, I need to spend all of my time, instead of dry practicing at home, I need to scour every gun magazine, internet forum, whatever, to see if the latest, uh, this, this you know, take, take your pick, you know, Federal, Hornady, Winchester, whatever, if this 147 or 124, whatever grain, round or whatever is that much better than the other one that that's where we're putting all our effort into the reality is this a one of the better manufacturers that is using solid testing protocol in a not weird magic bullet in a good constructed round driven at a decent velocity and you hit where you need to there isn't much difference in any of them. And if we spent more time just investing in that high quality ammo from somebody and not going too far off the rails of what that is into some weird something or other, and then learning how to put those where they need to be, that's where the effort needs to be as opposed to you know, the guys who get on the internet going, you know, they all fall to hardball. No, they don't. The one of the worst, worst performing shootings I was ever at was we had a bad guy get hit with uh, seven rounds of ball 45, most of which were all going through the intestinal area. And I went to the autopsy on that. And there was very little damage inside because those rounds just basically pushed everything out of the way. And we had a bunch of guys carrying that stuff because they had had a bunch of car shootings and the 185 grain 45 silver tip did not do particularly well in car shooting. So it's like, well, we'll carry ball for cars. Okay. You know, completely against what I was telling people, but okay. You know, they're all experts that shooting. The reason we were at an autopsy on that is the guy got hit by two rounds of 147 grain subsonic nine. Um, out of one of the other guy, out of another officer's uh, backup gun that he was carrying under his leg, because he had a six-inch forty-five uh, Colt revolver and then a nine under his leg. It was a guy who came out of highly, highly experienced guy of LAPD who had been in a 
uh, one of their uh, high, high, high intensity uh, surveillance units and had been in a bunch of shootings in LA uh, retired and came out to our place. Then he just came out of the car with his nine millimeter uh, um, off duty backup car gun and, and zapped the guy twice with a 147 that went deep, got into where it needed to nick the guy's heart. And that's what ended up killing him. But the, the 45 ball rounds, uh, was very, very insignificant. So you got to see some of this stuff firsthand and go, you know, some of this matters. Um, another interesting shooting, if I could. I had uh, a, a dear friend of mine that, that I've worked with for almost 20 years off and on. And uh, he had just bought, do you remember when SIG released the uh, the SIG short trigger where it was basically a yeah. double action only, but it was like, they called it the SAS or something. SAS, short yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. Short action zig or something. Yeah. Something like that. And he, he buys one and this is on, and we're in the station and he had gotten it for, that was his, his Christmas present and he'd qualified with it and he liked it. And now he's back to nine millimeter, but, but this was year. I mean, this is like 15 years ago and, He's like, yeah, I kind of feel different, kind of feel a little odd about stepping away from, you know, 17 rounds of nine millimeter. And at that time we carried 230 grain. I want to say it was either gold dot or golden saber. And he ends up in a shooting about 45 minutes after our briefing, uh, to a guy that, uh, put one officer on the ground with a set of nunchucks and, uh, he hits him six times in the lower, like in the stomach area between the pelvic and the, the upper chest, and then hits one in each elbow. As the guy's turning, he ends up taking a round almost square into both elbows. I guarded that guy off and on over almost six months. And I was going to say the guy's going to be a mess. Well, but it probably none of them did a great job of putting him down. That, that was the interesting thing was seeing firsthand. Now, granted, it's Christmas Eve and it was 19 degrees outside. When I got there, my, my buddy's gun was still smoking in the holster after he'd reloaded. So, I mean, this is how quickly I got on scene. Right. And the shell casings were uh, condensing to the pavement. It was so cold, you know, because you'll get that little bit of yeah. gas and condensation. They were actually starting to freeze to the pavement and they were still smoking and the entry and exit wounds on this, the bad guy were still smoke. I mean, you still had like steam coming out of it. It was really right. mor- morbid and we're covering the guy, uh, you know, of course, and securing the scene. And I watched the paramedics turn him over and I realized none of those rounds connected with anything substantial enough to start the failure process. And what I mean by the failure process is that bullet is not staying completely together. It's actually designed to open, which some, some of the literature, they say the bullet failure process, meaning the bullet is starting to open up, which is what we want and slow the, slow the process of penetration down, which means the bullet is technically failing because it's supposed to go, it's supposed to make a hole, right? Well, right. To, to, to detract from that, None of almost none of those projectiles opened. And I went, man, he hit soft tissue six times and it put the bad guy down. I mean, the bad guy was incapacitated yeah. and I don't wish death on anybody except no, you know, there's, there's a select the, the few whole idea is evil to, people. The but, whole idea is to stop the fight, not to be terminal. Exactly. I mean, that's, 
But that's what we're after is how can we stop this thing as quick as possible? But, but when that happened, that, that made, that was like one of those banner moments where you go, Ooh, Hey, maybe all the bullet technology in the world is based around you put the bullet where it's supposed to go and where it's designed to penetrate and ultimately bleed velocity or, or, or dump energy into whatever you're trying to contain the bullet in, whether that be a berm or whatever it's, that's the way it's designed. Well, if you put it through a soft medium, you, yeah, you could be shooting harder. You could be shooting the best, most well-designed hollow point in the world. If it's not designed to open up in very soft, very non-dense tissue, it, you're, you're shooting a ball. You're shooting ball ammo. You know what I'm saying? Well, like, and the essentially, whole thing is too is that a lot of the stuff that will open up for that—that's the stuff that isn't getting through a shoulder and into the exactly. heart. Exactly. So it, th- this becomes these compromises. So one of the most interesting shootings that was one of probably the biggest eye opener for me, and it's a—it was a very complicated event. But one of our guys who was a fabulous shooter, one of the best cops I ever worked with hits a dude on the run um, had just been involved in a shooting with another officer he was with and about 45 yards at night on the guy on the run. And he parks a 147 grain subsonic out of a SIG P226 um, right through kind of below the shoulder blade of the back at an angle round goes through the chest and the guy goes down um, with one shot. Now, we get there and I go through the thing. Guy lives, not a problem. Okay. So it was a double lung shot, but the round just because of angle just barely missed hitting anything in the hydraulics of the heart, but it did penetrate and puncture both. It collapsed both lungs. So the guy went kind of, you know, I can't breathe and really couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. So the, the round itself is sitting in, the guy's clothing basically had fallen out the opposite side of the chest and was in his clothing, perfectly expanded, looked like something out of a magazine out. I mean, it was, it was optimal performance. Again, you know, you're shooting a DASA gun, 45 yards at night, center punch the guy, guy goes down immediately, round goes through, fully expands. It gets rid of all its energy in the body. Round doesn't do any damage to anybody on the other side. Literally just enough energy left in the thing to fall out, uh, make a hole on the other side. So now you've got, you know, you've got an air passageway of, uh, you know, air in, liquid out, you know, all, all the way through this thing. It was an optimal performance of what you're looking for on these rounds. And I'm in the hallways of the police department over the next couple of days. And all I am hearing is how bad those 147 grade nine millimeters suck. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Oh, I, I, I heard it just fell out of the guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's your point? You know? Oh, well, you know, if it was 40, you know, and you're hearing all of this stupidity and it's like, I can read that now on the internet on any of these groups or forums. And it's like, you people have no idea what you're even evaluating. Cause I was there, I was recovering that stuff, you know, I'm yeah, like, I, so you can't ask for better performance than this, but you guys are all calling it a failure. And the rumor controls going out that nine is terrible. This is a perfect example when it worked perfectly. And the only reason that it wasn't more substantial 
is because it got a double lung and didn't hit into the heart. It was sort of in the right place, but the angle was just a hair off. I'm like, but it stopped the fight. People don't know what the, yeah, instantaneously. I'm all, you people have no clue what you're talking about, but this is the rumor and stuff. And this is the problem when we're evaluating stuff on the, I heard my uncle's a cop. Uh, Bob down at the gun shop says, you know, this is where all of these problems come. And I'm sitting there looking at this going, oh, this is pretty spectacular. I mean, this is just a justification right here that, you know, this stuff was working perfectly. Um, you know, like I said, the thing expanded on like 60 something caliber. You're like, right. it, you can't ask for better than that. Yeah, because because your 45 ball, you know, works better. I'm like, you know, you guys are morons. The other thing is, it's kind of on who you're talking to, you know? So the one person who was in my loop after these incidents, so, you know, I go to a lot of these autopsies. I was at a lot of these shootings, um, you know, had kind of been around this. And like I said, it's a professional interest of mine. I'm being, I'm the guy who's selecting what ammunition we're buying. It's, it's in my best interest to try to stay as, as technically good on this as I possibly can. But after these shootings, the only person I was reporting to outside of the uh, report chain of, you know, encyclopedia of gun cases that are sitting locked in somebody's office that nobody could see was Dr. Gary K. Roberts. Um, Gary and I have been friends for a long time. We kind of came up age wise behind like he was up uh, a lot of influence with Fackler. I had Gene Wolberg down in San Diego. We had kept these contacts of kind of the original ballistic lab guys and you know you'll hear the uh, gary's just a dentist you know gary works at one of the biggest most famous trauma centers in the united states and what he does is yeah he's a dentist but he does he's a doctor of dental surgery and he does facial reconstruction on people who get shot in the face basically or major trauma to the the, uh, mouth face skull area so Gary's pretty much a genuine expert on this stuff. So I would talk to him on these shootings because it allowed us to compare what was going on on the street, what we're seeing on bullets. He, He knows that I can get measurements, look at this stuff without outside thing. We could start comparing to how's it performing in gel versus what it's doing on the street. But, you know, I wasn't calling any guys who write for gun magazines. You know, those guys can't, you know, a lot of these people are like, well, I'm, I'm this, that. Go to your local police department, tell them that I want to see all the shooting books uh, with all the pictures and stuff from their officer of all shootings. And you know what you're going to see? You're not. You know, that stuff doesn't get released. It's not out there. It's usually the only people who are seeing that are a lot of the guys who are working the homicide investigation side of it. Um, And that's it. And, And honestly, a lot of those detectives are not ballistics experts. They are outstanding at figuring out crime, understanding stuff, angles, all of all of the stuff surrounding that. But they don't have a lot of times a high level of uh, ballistics expertise, which was one of the unique things my agency did by allowing me from coming from the range staff side of this to be involved in those investigations is we put an actual, you know, uh, court recognized firearms expert in on these shooting investigations to add some, to take away the myth factor and the guesswork and the typical stuff we saw. Um, 
and you know, I don't need to tell you a lot of cops think they're gun experts and they're not, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I've seen people get arrested. Oh, these are those. I mean, shoot, they had episodes of cops. Here's one of those Teflon coated cop killer bullets for penetrating armor. It's a glazer safety slug. You're like, you have no idea what you're looking at. Because if I get hit with anything in armor, I'd like it to be a glazer safety slug and be my number one pick of what I want to be hit with wearing armor. I still have a pack of those (laughs) in the original six round 38 special pack. Right. Yeah. And the old uh, vacuum sealed pack. But, uh, no, I had uh, I have a lot of a lot of people, and I'm sure you do as well. Go well. What's the best caliber for me? And my general answer is like, well, that's a very loaded question because I shoot forty okay, I shoot forty five just fine, I shoot nine millimeter to the peak of my personal performance. So forty, it takes a lot of work to get there. Forty five, it takes work to get there. Uh, Three fifty seven sig, I. You know, I've never hit the lottery, so I can't afford to shoot one. Uh, but right, <laughs> and I've never had an agency give me that ammo. So, thirty-eight and three fifty-seven, I shoot it just fine. But I say nine millimeter, just as a blanket statement for beginner to advanced shooter. It 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 makes all the marks with modern hollow point ammunition. And they're like, well, you know, I've got this, and you know, we toddle into the three eighty and all this, and I'm like, look, I've seen people literally die from 22 long rifle shot uh, like while i'm talking to them uh succumb to an injury from that uh the last shooting that i worked well one of the last ones that was fatal uh was a guy that had dropped the old lorson 25 <laughs> 25 25 acp ball ammo uh, there are literally air rifles that do better ballistically than the 25 right. ACP did uh, or, or an air pistols for that matter with the same bullet weight and more velocity. And he makes a drug buy. he's running from the drug house to his car to go use his drugs and his Lorson or Raven 25 falls out of his waistband, strikes the pavement, breaks, shears the striker, and it hits him directly in the left ventricle. And right. it and killed him dead. Um, <laughs> and I almost, I, I had a, like one of those moments. I was like, well, that right there, why go down the caliber rabbit hole? Because that round had that been somebody shooting him would have performed exactly the way it did by him accidentally shooting himself. But does that mean that I want to arm myself with that caliber? No, probably no. not. Um, but be- what it tells you, if you if you do, you need to hit things in the ventricle, or you you need to <laughs> you be know, so precise so and good. It was right. it was just I, I I feel for the guy because it was just his day. It's like the Gunny Highway. When it's your time, it doesn't matter how fast you run. Uh, yeah. Well, but that just was kind of furthered my own uh, belief that after seeing literally hundreds, if not now thousands of bullet wounds, uh, live and in person, uh, that the caliber was really not a factor in the end other than I saw a person that had been shot with birdshot in the face. And I went, okay. Makes a mess. 
It makes a mess. It wasn't fatal. It was life altering. <laughs> doesn't work real good. Yeah, but it Didn't, doesn't work real good. He got shot with number eight dove loads in a 20 gauge. If he had been shot with number four loads in a 20 gauge, it would have been fatal. Just from where the it, from where the pellet structure, right. the pattern had hit, I thought, okay, there's a caliber debate worth talking about. Because I hear these Let's dudes talking right birdshot for self-defense. <laughs> let me, let, I, I got two things get after out of this it, <laughs> that I want to get on. I want to get on this, and I got one other thing that will be historical we can work on. But So birdshot. This is one sends me through the roof every time is people recommending birdshot for home defense shotguns, all this. Okay. It's birdshot. It's made for shooting birds. You know, it's birds way. Birds don't weigh a whole lot. And, and, and what not injuring to, them. To drop, <laughs> what it takes to drop a bird out of the sky is very little effort ballistically to do that, to keep them from flying anymore. So um, one of the things, because I've always, this has always been a thing with me that, that angers me on people giving advice to using birdshot for, for defensive load. Um, it makes a mess of flesh in close quarters, but it does not go deep enough. It doesn't get to where it needs to. It doesn't do a whole lot of things it needs to do to incapacitate a deer-sized animal, which is why we use buck shot, not bird shot on people. So my wife was a hunting guide, an upland bird hunting guide. So I have started doing some upland bird hunting. And one thing I notice is a lot of times you shoot the bird and the guide goes over and breaks its neck (laughs) essentially, or, you know, kind of twists its head and finishes the bird. And I, you know, I asked my wife, I said, you know, you were doing that, you know, all day, two days, you know, Saturday and Sunday, every day for like, you know, every weekend for like eight years, I go, um, how often does that happen? That is the guide you're reaching down and killing the little bird that flew, fell out of the sky, but it's not dead. And it goes, Oh, literally kind of most of the time you're doing yeah, that more often than not and i'm sitting there going yeah more often i'm going oh so this isn't you know this just adds to my case birdshot doesn't even kill birds real good you know i mean it keeps them from flying which makes it really easy for somebody to walk over and break their neck or do whatever they're doing but it doesn't work particularly well on birds and it's certainly in my experience that if I saw people who survived shotgun shootings on the street, literally almost every single time it was birdshot shooting. Cause that was a lot of the crooks were shooting each other with birdshot. Yeah, yeah. The cops were all using buck, but the crooks where you saw it all the time was crooks on crook shootings. And you know, those were a lot of times real survivable. I mean, the, the good buckshot shootings weren't, but the, the other ones were. And you know, so anybody who tells you to use birdshot out of your shotguns for anti-personnel use, home defense, whatever, just stop listening. They don't know what they're talking about. They've never seen seen one of these things. You know, you know, I had some guy telling me on the internet. You know, I, one of my groups I left was, oh, you obviously don't have any experience of you know close quarters work with a twelve gauge shotgun. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea who you're talking to. You know, because I guarantee I have about a thousand times more than you do, you know, and yeah. So you want to be running buckshot or slug in 12 gauges intended for people. So let me go down another little road on this 
historically. So another perfect example of where we want to pick the thing we can hit with versus what's ballistically superior, airweight snubs. Everybody knows that's my thing is you will rarely find me that I don't have a airweight snub revolver on me somewhere um, as a regular course thing. Me and the circle of people that I hang around with who train a lot with these guys like Chuck Haggard, Greg Elifritz, um, we all carry 148 grain gold medal match wad cutters in our airlines and airweights. And the reason for that is, is we don't expect them to expand. You care less. They're very light recoiling, which when you're shooting sub, you know, sub 14 ounce guns is important. And they generally hit point of aim, point of impact on the little snubs. They're real easy to hit what we're aiming at with. And our only expectation is because of the construction of those rounds is they cut real well. They're designed to cut a precision hole and a paper target. So the edge of that wad cutter is very sharp. Well, what we find is when those things start hitting people, they cut through bone real well. They anchor real good. Those are not the ones that tend to skate off the skulls. They will easily get through a sternum. They penetrate real well, and they can easily get into a skull. And for those kind of guns, that's what we want. We have no expectation whatsoever that it's going to be any bigger or smaller than 38 special than, you know, right. 0.38 diameter. It's going to make a drill, a 38 caliber hole, probably a solid 18 inches into whatever we're shooting at. The key is I can put that hole where I need to, to get it where it has to go, which is I, I got to hit one of those, particularly those little snubs where I only have five, maybe six rounds. I really need to get, the job done as efficiently and quickly as possible. It's critical. I get that round into one of those grapefruits and that round will do that. I'm not going to worry about whether it expands or not, because most of the stuff, the good, even the, you know, the real high quality hollow points coming out of those guns aren't likely to expand. Yeah. And Cause they don't have the, they don't have the time to generate the velocity, the velocity. Right. And 357 mag. Now, 357 mag out of a snub is impressive as far as the blast goes, but they're hard to hit with. Chrono one, and you will see that yeah. you're basically putting on a light show to your detriment, meaning it's right. painful, it's uncomfortable to shoot, and you're not gaining a substantial amount of velocity over a 38 special. Now, I guess yeah, if you, you had a con. Yeah, if you had a contact about distance shot, I, maybe. Right. There, well, everything kind of works pretty good at contact distance. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I, the, uh, my new term I stole from a good friend that got it from his kid was uh, ear, nose, and throat guns. Um, you know, so I'm calling those ENTs now. <laughs> and uh, the instead of, I used to call them a, a GTFOs, the uh, get the uh, frick off of me guns. Now I'm going with ENT, their ear, nose, and throat guns. But the reality of 357 mag for everybody on the internet who tells me that I carry full house 357 mag in my, my, my 13 ounce airlight J frame and I shoot it just fine. And you guys are wimps that you can't do it. You're more of a man than I am because it's darn right painful to shoot them. And I would love to go shoot any kind of shooting course 
to see if you can put five rounds of those into a into the black on a B8 bowl in any kind of time at seven yards, because I, I can guarantee you, you probably can't. I'll give you my my two I'm gonna my two final thoughts because we're running up on the hour. Uh, one, I have seen one fatal shooting with birdshot, and it had absolutely nothing to do with the birdshot and everything to do with the wad that hit the gentleman in the throat and asphyxiated right. him. <laughs> right, yeah. that, and that's no joke. And I mean, it sounds morbid, but uh, that was not a predictable outcome. It was just that person's day, and that wad did what it did. Uh, but the plastic wad was actually responsible for the fatality. The second thing is. I carried an air light, you know, you remember the, uh, what was it? The three forty seven PD or mm-hmm. the three that it was a five three, shot 40 PD three forty PD. Thank you. PD. Yeah. yeah. Uh, internal yeah, I got one in my pocket right now. Yeah. Got internal it. hammer, <laughs> scandium, scandium yeah. frame, scandium frame, titanium, yeah, titanium cylinder. cylinder. And, uh, that gun 11 ounces. Yep. And I had to, <laughs> To carry 357 Magnum ammo in it, I had to qualify. And at that time, we had a 50-round qualification course, and I did it three times. I passed it every time, but I qualified with that gun for three years and wore it on my ankle to the point that the frame around the sleeved barrel, because they use that sleeve insert barrel, uh, had worn over to the steel of the barrel because it was in an ankle rig, and it just wore back and forth. Um I finally ducked down to 38 specials when a a rep that I knew came out and he goes, he goes, man, I don't think you can shoot that under stress. And I go, I shoot it. I don't like to shoot it. I'm bleeding when I'm done every time. But, and he goes, well, I, I think, you know, you'd be foolish to carry 38s when you can carry 357s. And I said, you know, I've never tested this theory. Let's walk down there with a chronograph and figure this out. And, I was gaining less than a hundred feet per second for a mass of one, it not being shootable pain and two pain. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right. And and I thought, "Eh, okay. So I started qualifying with 38s and, uh, shortly thereafter I I got rid of the gun. It was, you know, (laughs) there's only so many years you can wear one of those guns on your boot. One of those aluminum frame guns before think finish where and all these little things start to go wrong with it and I, I thought yeah this is a good time to turn it into a pocket gun or sell it so i got rid of it and uh the next guy that bought it wanted to carry 357s and sold it a week after five rounds and one week yeah. later it was gone yeah it's gone but, but that's my two final thoughts on the caliber debate i think we we did some uh, this was a bit of a morbid, like cop shop talk on wound ballistics and things like that. Uh, I hope that the listening audience isn't too offended, but if you are, I take hate mail just as well as I take, uh, other mail, but what would be yours? What would be your kind of your final thought, especially like civilians? Uh, they, uh, that seems to be the people that come to me the most with these caliber questions. Uh, and I'm sure so you I'm as well. Draw- oh. I'm going to drop a piece of I'm going to drop a piece of history on you that probably sums this up. So, one of the most easily shooting little guns out there has been around since the early 1900s, like 1903, and that's the the Colt 1903. You know, the pocket pocket auto, auto designed yeah. by John John Browning, the pocket hammerless, which it does have a hammer, but it's inside. Mm-hmm. 
they are incredibly easy guns to shoot. They ergonomically set up great the hand for because the sights are terrible, but at least for that the 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 way it interacts with your body as far as you can get kind of some accurate shooting out of those things for the ranges usually involved. Those round those guns put down a whole ton of people over the years shooting 32 ball, mm-hmm. which is not a very impressive round. The key is because the gun is very easy to shoot and to hit with is a lot of people are getting hit solid with that 32 ball. Yeah. It, it's more important. Spend the time on learning to hit efficiently and having something you can run and accessible. Those guns were easy to carry, easy to access, easy to shoot, easy to hit with. Um, unless you were trying to sight and fire, which was a little tough, but at least if you could get the gun in front of your face, it lined up great in the hand. And shooting one of the most, you know, unimpressive ballistically rounds out there. The key is a lot of those rounds went to where they needed to go to incapacitate people. So the kind of the point of this is it's more important that you shoot good than one millimeter in difference besides caliber. And I found high quality hollow point at a moderate velocity in a proven round that's good stuff in a gun that you can shoot really well is the uh, equation that works out best for most people Yeah. versus I'm carrying some monster caliber thing because somebody carried one in a movie and you can't shoot the gun worth a heck, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's more important that you can hit with it, that you can hit that grapefruit consistently and then then pick a round that can get to the grapefruit and that you can manage. And you probably don't need to spend exorbitant amount of money because none of the magic rounds are magical. I'll just tell you that right now too. You know, good high quality round from a good reliable manufacturer, you know, one of the biggies in a gun you can shoot and you can pretty much not be in caliber debates on the internet anymore. All right. Thanks again, DB. That was a great final thought. That was uh, Cooperish in nature, or Hackathornish, or Vickersish. I'll, I'll I'll give you the credo on that one, man. I I love it when Daryl comes on. Uh, this one, of course, a little more morbid topic. But for those of you that haven't worked in the the realm of bullet wounds, uh, I think it's it's kind of kind of our responsibility to maybe share some of that knowledge because it is a very morbid subject and it really kind of goes to prove there's really no need to have a caliber debate anymore just pick what you shoot shoot it well learn to train with it and hopefully never ever ever have to use it all right a reminder check out today's sponsors mountain man medical mountainmanmedical.com ccw safe Go to ccwsafe.com forward slash off duty 10 for a 10% discount off your membership. Thanks guys for doing that. EDC belt company, of course, the foundation belt, get one today. Go to edcbeltco.com and a reminder, go to the guardian conference, guardianconference.com. Go sign up, get an early bird seat. I'll be there. A bunch of guys will be there. 
It'll be a good time. Great conference. I think it's going to grow to be the premier conference. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.